when you get there to think, do I belong here? What am I doing here? More now. Totally out of my own future. But you quickly learn that when you start to have conversations with people, that you've got something in common. I wanted to make sure there's still a future, so all the trails still. I like the idea of taking that first step. I have this idea that the kids these days need to do X, you know, or this uh, one kid in my class can't do Z, and I'm going to make a whole course to make sure it's easy. Uh, whether you're taking this Welcome to EdTrex Rewind. All right, welcome back to another episode of the EdTrex Podcast. I'm Quinn Henderson. I'm Matt Winters. It's great to be back, Matt. Yeah, it seems like it's been a while. Yeah, it's been too long. It feels like it's been a long time, but really, our last episode came out in October, like like mid October. So, like, we really actually haven't been gone too long. It's been, like, maybe five weeks. I think it was that, that crazy summer that we had. Yeah. That basically built up all of those episodes. But it's been a while since we've had a chance to yeah. sit down and record. It's Just been you like and I. Four or five months, yeah. Yeah, so it's exciting to kind of get back. I think now that really, like, the school year has settled down, we can kind of get back into our groove a little bit. I'm sure people are dying to hear from us. I know, right? All <laughs> of our, our wonderful listeners out there. Yeah, wondering where we went or what's going on, <laughs> waiting for the next episode. It's true. What are we talking about? So, uh, well, we got to start with some updates. Updates. I mean, you've, you've had a big change. Is this where we put in like that music, like the weekend updates on Saturday? Yeah. This just in. Yeah, we both, you know, had a few changes go on. I left my district. Yeah. And I joined the team at Future Design School. Which is amazing. Which was is really amazing. I mean, I'm really excited and I feel like really lucky. Yeah. To, to have this opportunity. So uh, incredible people, um, incredible goal and vision. And I'm just really excited to be a part yeah. of it. So. If you've never heard of Future Design School, make sure you check out. I, I always, like their website's great, which is... FutureDesignSchool.com. Perfect. Right? And then like, uh, I always go on Twitter and check out, I think it's FDS Innovates. Is their hashtag? Or at least I remember their hashtag is that. F Design School. Or F Design School. Well, and the, yeah, the hashtag, hashtag FDS Innovates and yeah. at F Design School. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's there's so many cool things that they do. And I get on there sometimes and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I see you all over it now, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, and like Les Macbeth and a few other people I, I know from there. But like, it's so cool to see what they're doing with different schools, how they're training them how the teachers are reacting to that training. like And me personally, going through the training about, what, two months ago? Three months ago? It was in August. August, yeah, yeah. three months ago. Um, and then seeing how the teachers that went with that went on that with me have changed their teaching over the last couple of months has been really cool. Well, and I think, I think you basically summarized what really, I mean, led me to where I'm at was all the experiences that I'd had related to, you know, future design school. You know, first was the Google Innovator Academy with less... Um, leading the design process at the Google Innovator Academy, coming back, using some of the curriculum within uh, my class at the high school, and then also hosting a Young Innovator Camp, and then a Future Skills Institute for teachers. I couldn't get enough. And as I reflected back on, on all of that, especially after our crazy summer, that was the stuff that I looked forward to the most, that I got excited about the most, that I saw making like the biggest difference. And so when the opportunity came up, it just... it. I, I couldn't. I couldn't refuse. It, it was like I've got to be a part of that. If I could be around yeah. that more, sign me up, right? And along the way, I'll tell you, it's the most incredible people doing some incredible things. And so I, I'm, I'm. I'm excited. I was talking to some of the um, team before I left most recently, and we were just talking like in a year. Imagine the things that we can accomplish. So there's such this positive, open-minded, optimistic 
approach to everything that that you're just giving it everything you can yeah, to try and make a difference. There's too little of that in education right now. This optimism and trying to fix things. I mean, you were talking earlier um, about you talk to people sometimes and they're like, "Wow, that's." Uh, Opti- like super optimistic and idealistic of you to like want to change education yeah. those ways and the reality is is it's not that it's just that's what how you should be in education you want to change people's lives yeah well and I think that's really what brings all of us into education and, and what you're referring to that comment was you know I ended up on a plane next to a British engineer who had made that comment once I explained really what we do at Future Design School and what our goal is and he had made the comment that it was really idealistic and I, I basically responded saying, well, it needs to be, right? If we want to be able to solve the problems or equip students to solve big problems in the future, especially the ones we don't even know about, we've got to take that approach mm-hmm. um, and give them that process that's going to help them solve the problem or do the jobs that don't even exist yet. And so it was really interesting to kind of hear that feedback you know, from him. And it's really a kind of a global perspective in that case. And so, yeah, yeah, very idealistic but very needed. I think that's really where where education is going to start to transform, but I think there are obstacles in the way. Yeah. Well, innovation is one of those things that just takes time. I mean, the the and I'm I'm guilty of this is that we often and this is one of the frustrations like I, I think we're we're doing a little bit of venting session here a little bit. Oh yeah. Like, um but I I'm a victim uh, or not a victim, but I'm also a culprit of like wanting the change to happen immediately. And wanting like big things to happen with education overnight or like within a couple of weeks or a couple of months or even a year, but it takes years. Well, it it, it depends. I would That's say because I would completely agree, and I used to I really refer to that like speed of education, and I think in general the attitude is that things take a really long time. But I've I've had the opportunity to kind of start to work with independent schools, charter schools, and public school systems. And there's a difference depending on what type of school you're dealing with, right? In the public school system that you and I are used to working in, right, it's, it's larger, there are more people involved, there are a lot more variables. Yeah. And so things tend to happen a little bit slower or they're a little more cautious, yeah. I feel like. But in those independent schools and those charter schools, and I was actually meeting with somebody last week um, who had left the public side and has kind of gone more to the private side, and she had made the comment that said she loves what she does because if she wanted to change change something, she could do it tomorrow, yeah. right? They were more nimble. And so I guess you think about how do you get, first of all, leaders in whatever type of school to believe that if they, can, if they need to change something, they can change and act now. And how do you get that to really kind of get into the public education sector as well of mm-hmm. saying, having that mindset of saying, yeah, we need to make a change. It will impact student achievement. Let's let's do it now. Tomorrow, well, what's it going to take? And I think you're you're pointing to something really important that's not just education related, but it's it's global in the terms that if you want to make change, it's not just one moment that you can make the change, or one. It's not over an entire organization. It's grassroots. You start with the group that you're in, you change that philosophy, those ideas, and then you move up the chain until the entire organization has changed in some way, shape, or form, positive or negative. Hopefully, positive. Yeah, so thinking about that too, I mean, what obstacles prevent them from changing? And the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's one of those things that like really kind of is very, uh, I don't know, controversial, but it's a hot topic, right? And I think everybody has a lot of opinion around that. I think there's that political aspect. Mm-hmm. When you think about like public education, when it's a little bit larger, that, that they start to think, it's, or it, 
it's always there, not necessarily about the students, but, you know, if I was elected here, what does the community think and, and all of that? Or right? even the more petty things like, how long have you worked here or, or do, who do you know sort of thing. Right. Well, in, in, I think we all have stories about something like that, right? Um, when we've, we've looked at when opportunities at the leadership level have opened up, the decisions, you wonder what decision led to the next person taking over. Yeah. And was it politically motivated? Was it because they've been here a long time? Is it that they have the actual skills and ideas or vision that needs to carry the organization forward and, and really change and be innovative, like you said? You know, what, what, what's really the motivation? So that, that's just behind the scenes all the time, and people wonder that. But it never really comes out. And so you just kind of roll with it, yeah. I think is how it goes. Well, it's the, truth, it's the truth of any social organization. If you have a social organization, people are always going to have their own opinions about what's going on. You know, you could take the greatest leader in the world, and some people are going to think he's there, he or she is a demon. You know, it's true of, like, anybody, even, like, Steve Jobs. I mean, some people thought he was a visionary, like, god of technology, other people think he was a complete problem and did terrible things. And even his own company thought he was terrible, you know, firing him and those sorts of things in the early 80s. But at the same time, like, you've got that social aspect where people are going to make up their own mind about what's going on. And in education, that's very true. You're going to have these moments where people are going to be looking at it going, ah, that doesn't mesh with my style or I disagree with their philosophy here or blah, 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 even though the intentions might be completely pure. Right, you may have the same attention intentions, but really the the method and the process you use to get there could be could be clashing, right? Yeah. I I think if you know one thing that and, and that, that's a problem to me. That's something that eats at me all the time, right? Or yeah. how are those decisions made or what drives and what motivates people? And you you'd said basically you could have the greatest leader in the world, but what what in your mind makes a great leader? That's a great point, and I think that's, that's completely subjective. I mean, what I think is a great leader, which I would personally say somebody who's got charismatic, who's char- or has charisma, a person who really cares about what they're doing, who knows their limits and knows how to delegate. I think those are the biggest things that make up a good leader, but somebody else might have a completely different set of what that actually means to them. I mean, somebody might even have a, a completely warped vision that, a great leader is somebody who steps aside and lets their team do the work for them. Right, exactly, right? It's just like I just hand it off to the team. I agree with all of those that you named. All right, and leadership is one of those things that nobody's ever been able to completely define that this makes a great leader. Uh, one of the things that I heard that I, I really believe in, I think it's because I've seen some leaders in the past do this, but what's made a great leader, and I can't remember these specific examples that were used when I when I'd heard this, but it was that leader that basically said, hey, this is what we're going to do, unless you can convince me otherwise, Yeah. right? That great leader was the one that said, that basically Owen said, hey, you're right, we do need to shift and go this way, right? They commit to what they believe in, but they, they can see, or they gather data, they gather the facts, they are able to understand the situation more and change course mm-hmm. based on that need. And I think that that's, that's one of the keys like that I've, I've tried to like take with me. It's like, if I'm going to do one thing. I can be convinced otherwise, but not be so steadfast in something that, that people start to wonder like, what, what the heck is going on? Why is he so committed? We have all this new information or we have all of this. This is really what they're saying and it should be leading us here and we're still going there. 
Mm -hmm. right but that could be the political side that drives mm -hmm. that as well that they get so that somebody could get so committed um, to one thing and it's hard to be wrong yeah well and it's also hard to get people to see a vision too I mean it's one of those those tricky things about education or just human society at base core is this idea that everyone has their own brain Everyone has their own thought processes. But despite what we believe, if somebody's yeah, not yeah. having a brain. That's <laughs> true. And, but we've got, like, the, the big... I, I always tell my students, I'm like, if, I, if we were telepathic, you wouldn't need an educational system. Because you could transport that information almost perfectly to the other person. But, but so, right, that's one of the things that... And this is going back to future design school, right? We believe empathy is the core of everything. Yeah. And just like you're saying, if you're telepathic, you already understand where somebody else is coming from, right? And you can understand that instantly. Or you understand the vision perfectly, too. Right, exactly. So you understand their approach and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so we're not telepathic, right? So we do have to be empathetic. Exactly. And so we have to build those relationships in the best way possible um, with that empathy in mind. Or else things fall apart. So, I mean, if... So maybe it's if you look at us in our situation, do we need to be more empathetic towards our leaders, mm -hmm. or, or is the bigger gap them being more empathetic to those they are leading? I think it. I think the bigger gap, especially for a lot of people, is leaders down to their constituency. Um, it's the same thing with a, a teacher. I mean, if we just let's get a little bit of leadership for a second, teachers the leader of the classroom, and the hardest thing that a lot of teachers I think face is being being able to see things from their students' perspective. I mean, constantly I'm, I'm having to check myself in the classroom and say, uh, you're, what, what I'm doing right now is not helping you learn. So how do I change my perceptions of what's going on to match your need as a student? And I think that's a really hard thing for us to do. When I, when I started teaching at the college level, one of the best lessons I got was right off the bat from one of my professors. He said, you know, you've got the hardest job in higher ed right now. You're a master's student thinking about high-level literature, high-level ideas with language, and you've got to drop down from where you're at to a first-year college student, maybe even a high school student, and explain high-level argumentation and writing skills to them in a way that they can understand. And, like, it's even harder once you have a master's degree to drop that down to a high school or a junior high level. And, you know, I, and that's all empathy. You've got to step back and say, okay, what's the best way for them to learn in the quickest way possible while still maintaining their, the kind of the fidelity of that educational experience? Well, and that, that, I think that's a perfect scenario to put it in, right? Instead of thinking about the gap between, you know, leaders and, and teachers in that situation is to put it in a context that you're more familiar with, the teachers and the students. And, yeah, you have, you know, 30 students every 50 minutes, right, coming through your class. And so it's a really hard thing to do, but that's when you know you're most effective. And that's when you make an impact is understanding that one student that isn't getting it, right? Yeah. And, and trying to understand from their perspective what might be in their way. And that could be, that could be learning related, could be family related, could be, I mean, there could be all kinds of factors. And so establishing that relationship is key. So do you feel like, I mean, within your school, let's just put this put you on the spot with this. Do you feel like, you know, the leadership in your school, you have a good relationship with them? Oh yeah. I feel like the leadership in my school is very empathetic and very focused on what's really important in a school situation, which is the children. I mean, if you're, if you're not focused on the children as an educator, what are you doing? I think is the really big question. So, so you have a good relationship. 
Would you say that relationship is good with all teachers and the leadership? I would say, and this is again going back to like just human experience, I'd say most because I don't know everyone's experience, like everyone's perceptions of what's going on. But I would say it's better than most. What leads me to ask that is I think about it is that I know you and you're great at establishing relationships because you know the value of that. And I know you've probably not waited for leadership within your school to come to you and initiate that. Yeah. And it's kind of gone both ways. But there are going to be some teachers out there that, that do just sit and wait for leadership to come the other way. So I was just wondering, because that's going be, to be leadership style, right, in well, how proactive they're going to be in doing that. Well, and that brings me to like my biggest frustration as an, as an educator, um, and it's also just as a person, is apathy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I view that as an apathetic position. If you're going to wait for somebody to come to you to make the change then you're dealing with apathy because you don't really care enough about what you're talking about to actually make the jump to fix it, which is, I, I, I see in students a lot. I mean, they, they look at a concept like, I don't know, like Oxford commas and they go, why do I need to know this? And I'm like, well, here's the reasons why it's, it's important to know because blah, blah, blah. And I can go off on that for like 15 minutes, but that would bore our listeners to death. Um, but the kids, if they don't understand why it's important, they don't want to learn it. Or if they have something else that's going on in their biography that they just don't see the purpose of education, then they become apathetic. And that apathy is really hard to defeat. It's it's harder to defeat apathy, in my opinion, than misunderstanding. Because misunderstanding, you can create understandings. You can use your empathy as an educator, as a person. But if they're just apathetic about what's going on, that is an incredibly hard position to defeat. Does that make sense? A- absolutely. Okay. I'm just trying to process all of that, right? Because you, well, apathy is, I mean, I'm thinking about when you when you brought it up, I started to think of people, yeah. right? I, I, I thought of leaders. I thought of, of teachers I worked with or coworkers and and defeating apathy. Wow. Wow. What a, what a challenge. Yeah. Really. But, but I think, you know, the, the only, where I'd start, I guess, is you, you have to really understand that person. Yeah. And give that purpose. Which it takes so much time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about a couple specific students that I work with um, over the years, not just this year, but over the years, where they just shut down. And they go, I can't do this or I don't want to do this and those sorts of things. And I've had to sit with them for hours and hours. There's one student I worked with for two years, finally got it the last like two quarters that I worked with him because I understood he needed an example every time we did something. And that helped <clears throat> defeat his apathy in the classroom. But it took me a year and a half to get to that point with him because I tried every other possible thing. And elaborating that, like extending that out to you know leadership, I mean, if you have a team of, I mean, I'm thinking of districts in the area that we're, we live in. I mean, if you have a, a district of 17 to 100 to 2,000 teachers, even 500 teachers, there's going to be a large percentage of them, or not a large percentage of them, there's going to be a significant percentage of them that are apathetic, especially about leadership, or they've seen over the years, they've they've seen all the you know, the newfangled whatever, blah, 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 and they're done with it. They just want to do their thing, their laminated lesson plan, and go to work. Well, or they or they want to just basically, if they run the day without any major incident, mm-hmm. right, then, then it's a success. Exactly. Right? So status quo, if they maintain status quo, then that, that's counted as a successful day. Exactly. And how to get that many teachers, especially if you're in a leadership position in the district, and you have to know 500 names, you have to understand you know 17 schools, you have to figure out all these different things that are going on with the teachers. That's, that's a massive job. And, and sometimes, you know, me being on an outsider position, 
that's next to impossible to some degree. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just that, you know, as you were talking there, I, I was trying to think of what are the things that we're doing within the system that we're in that, that basically promote apathy, mm. right? Is it, is it the scheduling? Because I, I think I started to think about, okay, well, you know, I, I'm working with a lot of different schools right now. And we're approaching, you know, Thanksgiving holiday and Christmas holiday. And we're, we're having fewer conversations because they're, they seem to be in a mode. It's like, okay, well, after, after the holiday, I'll start to think about that a little bit more. Yeah. And, and I, I would say that is in some cases that it, it's, it's genuine that it needs to wait after a holiday to have a discussion or, or take on something new. That makes sense. But in, in a way, I kind of feel like sometimes, though, it's, it's the apathetic approach which is saying, I, I don't want to do anything right now. I don't want to start anything new. So I'm just going to kind of roll with things for now. And I th- so is the scheduling that we're doing where we have, have these breaks, we create all of these milestones, and then after the first of the year, is it going to say, well, I don't want to start anything until after spring break? Or, yeah. you know, we're kind of looking, for, looking towards all these milestones. I have testing, and I don't want to do it before then. I have to wait until the end of the year after testing because I yeah. don't know if In it's the summer, work I'll have more time, and then yeah. you don't have more time. You know, so, so it's... I, it's procrastination. It's mm-hmm. apathetic. It's. I think for and on, on and I think that on an individual teacher level, I think you've hit the base core is that it's just time. I mean, one of my I, I hit apathy sometimes. Oh yeah. Or like exhaustion. I mean, and I think a lot of that comes down to for me with is time. Like I'm contracted to do eight hours a day, mm-hmm. but teaching is you could work twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, no sleep, and you'd still want to get everything done. You'd still want to be the way I don't. I think there's a large part part of teachers in this country that would say, if I had all that time, I still wouldn't have the perfect classroom. But on the flip side, I think from a leadership perspective in districts, I think sometimes it comes down to, to timing. You're exactly right. Like, when do we do trainings? Why do we do trainings? But then also the follow through. I mean, it's cool to do one cool training or one big idea, but how do we follow through with that to make sure that it actually worked? Well, and that's, I, that's, I mean, this is a, a whole other conversation when we, we switch into training. But yeah. a lot of the times, I think what creates some apathy as well is that a lot of the training that we do comes off as being the flavor of the month. Yeah. Something new, right? And it's going to be gone tomorrow, and the next new shiny thing will be in next week to take its place. Yeah. And so I'm not going to invest the time and energy to really follow through on my own with this because I know they're not following through with the training that they're going to do already. And so, yes, the, the schedule that we create, um, the, the training that we do, that drives apathy. And I, I, I don't know, where, how, do you, how, do you, how do you solve it? Because I, like you were saying, even if a teacher felt like they had all the time in the world, they still wouldn't, make, they still wouldn't have enough time to do everything mm-hmm. they wanted to do. So they just go into, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. I'm not well, going to do anything more. And I think... Okay, I think there's an in-between point between those two things. Yeah. I'm just going to do this, which I, I think equates to like laminated lesson plans. I've done this before it works, to doing the newfangled thing that's going to take a bunch of time. I think there's this, this spot in the middle that's kind of like, I'm going to do a little thing. One day lesson plan, 10 minutes, I'm going to try it out, see if it works. And then if it works, I'll try something else and I'll keep, it, it's kind of like that that ball rolling downhill gathering, you know, doesn't gather moss or, or a snowball rolling downhill gathers snow. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to try one thing and it's going to kind of build on itself. And I think I've been seeing that a lot more in my school of, you know, the teachers that 
try a tenement activity, try adding Legos like a la like Dan Ryder or something like that, or doing stuff with Play-Doh or trying like a little robot activity or blah, 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 blah. They jump into it a lot more fluidly over time than if we try and do everything at once. Well, and I, I think that's perfect advice, right? Yeah. Is is try one thing on one day for a few minutes with a small group of students, right? Do it on a micro scale, yeah, and then build on it from there. Yeah, and, and see where it goes. I mean, it's there's there's no law that says you have to do everything a hundred percent all the time, and that's one thing I have to t- tell myself all the time. Um, well, doing a hundred percent and giving a hundred percent, two different things. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. And so you just really have to, to monitor your time and kind of take a step back and say, "Hey, I'm doing enough, and that's cool." So, what what would you say to a teacher that you think is highly apathetic, and how do you, how do you maybe get them to take that small step and try something? Um, I would tell them to find somebody they respect mm-hmm. and see what they're doing. Somebody like people who are doing innovative things, see what they're doing. And try it out. Take a chance. Do it on a day that, you know, quote unquote, doesn't matter. You know, like the day before Thanksgiving break or the day before Christmas break or something like that or winter break or like uh, the first day of the quarter or something like that. Do something kind of bonkers and maybe scare your kids a bit. Like force them into a corner and, and see what they're doing. And if you enjoy it and they enjoy it, well, guess what? Now you have a new tool. And you can work with that. If it doesn't work, guess what? You tried something new. It didn't work. Who cares? Move on the next day and try something else. And that that would be my advice is find somebody who's doing something cool in your building. Mimic it and see if it works for you. If it doesn't, you know, adapt. Find something else to do. I, I like that idea of partnering with somebody because yeah. then you feel more safe, right? Exactly. And you've got that feedback mechanism too or you can bounce an idea off. I'm going to try this or maybe somebody's tried it before. You've got the opportunity to do that. I would be, um, I, I could take another approach, but it'd be really um, like uh, marketing type of approach, right? That's what led me, like we started this episode, what what led me to join the team with Future Design School is that it helped take people beyond their comfort zone and hopefully inspire them to try that one thing that they'd created when they were um, at the Skills Institute or whatever it might be, right? And they, they kind of had that creative confidence when they left, say, I'm going to go try something a little bit. Yeah. But you're just thinking about how you do that within your school without any new professional development or, or pieces, find somebody. I think well, that's a great approach. Well, and, that's, and just kind of on my own end, that's what I've been doing the last week with people, or last couple of weeks with people. I mean, I had a teacher who really wanted to try podcasting with her students. She knows nothing about audio recording, or she didn't until I came into her classroom. And I helped her record her students, and then I taught them Adobe Audition, which is what we use for our recording program. And um, the students walked out with a real-world skill, but also it was super fun for her. She loved it, and she the kids loved it, and she learned a new skill. She can do it next year again by herself. Um, a teacher of mine wanted to do a, a breakout EDU box, and she had no idea how to do it. I had one made. It was on the same subject in her class, so we did it, and I helped her with it. Um, I mean, just little things like that that help the teachers to go, okay, there is other things out here I can try, which I think is really, really cool. Well, what, what's really cool is just hearing you talk about those specific examples. You like kind of have this... You light up a little bit. You're, you know, you can't see it, of course, because we're audio only. Yeah. But you could totally see that. It was like totally energizing to you to be able to kind of oh, pay it, it forward to other teachers. It was exhausting. Oh, yes. Yeah. The Friday, that it was last Friday, I helped a teacher, the teacher with podcasting the entire day. And I came home and I was just like, I'm going to pass out. Yeah, but didn't you feel like you really made a difference yeah. that day, though? Yeah, those kids, those little, like, and it's, it was seventh graders. Little seventh graders were like learning how to professionally edit on a, on a professional program, which 
was amazing for me and it was amazing for them. And I, I think that really taught the teacher that they can do something different if they want to. They just need a support system. And that's, that's the, the, the big thing is finding that person in your school that's going to step in and go, I can help you. Let's do this. Well, and I think that the support system kind of summarizes everything that we've said, mm-hmm. right? From leadership and having empathy, we'll call it bi-directional empathy, right? <laughs> yeah, from, that's good. From uh, teachers to leaders and leaders to teachers and then teachers to students, right? It goes goes every direction, but that's, that's a big piece of that whole support system. Yeah. And if you don't feel supported in anything, then you're going to be apathetic. Yeah. And you're not going to want to do anything. But when you know somebody is there, um, not just watching, but like genuinely cares and wants you to succeed, then you move out of that apathy, right? You start to defeat that apathy. Agreed. I think that's a great place to have. I, I think it is. It's a great yeah. discussion. And it could have gone, I feel like it could go for days, but you know, hopefully that, that, that shares some perspective. Or maybe, you know, if people are listening out there like, oh yeah, that, that, that's, that's just like it is in my situation. It's not just specific to my situation, but understanding that people are going through the same thing or they have the same challenges, whether you're you know, public or private or charter or whatever it might be, just understanding that people have that same challenge kind of makes you go, okay, I'm not alone. I can start to do something. Exactly. And I, I think that's the biggest thing for educator need right now is that somebody's out there experiencing the same thing I am, especially new teachers. Right, so I guess we'll leave it with go forward with empathy. Where can we find you now for future design school? Are you still the same handle on Twitter? Yep, at Q Henderson, still the same Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, and you are still? Uh, at Teacher Winners. I've been a bit quiet on Twitter recently. I need, a, I need a social media break. You know, every once in a while you got to take a break. I did the yeah. same thing. Um, I feel none... bad. I haven't done any Ed Chats for like a month and a half. Okay, well, that's your challenge is jump, jump okay. back into an Ed Chat. Great way to feel supported. In what you're doing, jump jump in those Twitter chats, connect with people online. You know, when you're not feeling supported, reach out to Matt or I. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll give you a virtual hug. There you I go. guess yeah. that's possible. Virtual high five. There yeah, there virtual high five, fist bump, whatever it might be. But you know, or if you have stories to share yeah. about how to defeat apathy, we'd love to hear those as well. Agree. So and until right. next time, I'm Matt Winters and I'm Quinn Henderson. We'll see you later. See you. Cool.